1: You're very welcome to Thursday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. I'm getting straight to business today because I think my first guest is setting a new record with us on the show because she's been here in the past to talk about hot yoga, CPR... Fitness, her juices, and she's back on an entirely different angle today. Laura Amada, it's great to see you again. Hi, Kerry. How are you? <laughs> really good. You see, you're a devil. You you don't tell me everything. You your story unfolds with the years.
0: You, I'm a box full of surprises. <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: you you are a box full of surprises for sure. And of course, you are a, a fitness and health entrepreneur and businesswoman. Thank you very much for coming back to the show today because we're going to talk weddings for the next while. And look, I don't have to remind you weddings are generally a costly affair Mm -hmm. there's a lot of money involved and people splash the cash on the big day Mm -hmm. but for you when you got married
0: no no (laughs) no it wasn't my thing (laughs) how much how much was your
1: wedding have cost you do you think
0: yeah it's a bit of a long story but like in brief the actual ceremony cost us only $400 that's all it cost you know so we were going out together for a long time we were in a relationship for 11 years and we actually had never discussed marriage we weren't even engaged or anything we were just living I had never Brought it up. As you know, I'm from Spain. Yes. And even though we are not that far, Spain from Ireland, the cultures are very different. The families are very different. And for me, the whole thought of having to bring my family over here, it just it wasn't happening. It just wasn't happening. You know, it, was, it would have been too much stress. So we never even discussed it. We never even thought about it.
1: So yourself and Mark just ambled along.
0: Just went along. Yeah, we got on great. I don't see any difference nowadays between me married and not married. You're cohabiting. It's pretty yes. much the same. So yeah. it wasn't that... Big of a deal. But again.
1: here's the thing. What year did you come to Ireland?
0: I came in 1998.
1: Okay. And from Barcelona to Ireland. Yeah. What, tell us again. What brought you here?
0: I came as an au pair. Uh, that was it? Yeah, that was a very <laughs> horrific experience. Was it? What, yeah, no but way? I had been to Ireland before as a student in the summer. Yes. I knew how lovely Irish people were, and that's the reason why I decided to stay. You okay. know, I had the most amazing family up in Rathfarnham, and I knew how amazing and how um, welcoming Irish people are. And that's the reason why I didn't get a flight back home to Barcelona. So I ended up, ended up yeah, staying in Drogheda. And got a job, and then I got another job, and then got to like I didn't know anybody in the town when I came, absolutely not a single person. So yeah, and 25 years later, i got rid of me.
1: <laughs> you are one of the most well-known people in this town. How did you meet Mark, or where did that happen?
0: He, I was renting a house in in Trohada. i rent renting a room like a lot of pe- young people do, and he happened to be a friend of the girl I was renting of, and there was a little house party as people do uh, at around that um, when they're young, and I met him there.
1: And that was it. The and rest is history. It. The rest is history. Off it went from there. Yeah. So eleven years and no talk of marriage or anything. No. Had you any children during no, no, those no, no, nothing at no, no, all. No, no children, nothing like that. Nothing. Just the two of you. So you were free and easy. Yeah. You could have gone your own ways if you wanted exactly. to. Exactly. So, what happened then? Why did you get married? Tell us the story.
0: We are uh, Mark is a very bad flyer. He just doesn't like flying, and we had booked uh, flights, very fancy flights to go to the Caribbean. And um, we have an amazing offer that if you were flying on a Wednesday from Manchester, you could get first class for very, very reasonable. So we booked them, and we' thinking maybe just make out of an occasion. We booked them in April. And then was coming closer to the time, I was thinking, maybe the whole fact that such a big event, we have never been in first class before, uh, we could make an event out of it. So we just casually said, maybe we could get married. So we go, okay. As you do. Let's see, is it possible? Because this was literally seven days before our flight. <laughs> <laughs> so I just contact the hotel and the hotel said, so yeah, if it's only two of you, you don't need much. You can We can do all the paperwork for you. So... Decided okay, let's get married.
1: Laura, I'm getting shivers on my, <laughs> down my spine I know here. My
0: people get shivers like
2: <laughs> seven
1: days, <laughs>
0: yeah. dress, rings, all that type of stuff. What did you do? Well, so it was very again, everything very easy, and I think it was meant to happen that way. So, dress, I found a sale dress downtown it was very funny because the lady I went into the shop and the door was locked and I couldn't understand why I couldn't get into the bridal shop I didn't realise in Ireland you have to make appointments in Spain you just walk into the shop you know so I was expecting just like going to buy any shop no and poor lady she had a heart attack <laughs> <laughs> she told me she asked me she goes when is your when is your wedding and it says, August she goes August 2009 and I said no August like next week well she had the heart attack and I didn't have <laughs> But, but she was lovely. She let me in. Yes. Goes, Look, we have a sale rack. We we'll see what we can do, and there was one that fit my size, and we just bought it, and that's it.
1: It was there. It was meant to be. It was, it was be. for you, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. You see the way things fall into yeah. place. What about the rings?
0: Rings, yeah. We bought rings for me up in Drogheda, in fields, and because it was short, short notice, my husband's hands, we couldn't get one for him. So we just go. We arrived there. We found a street artist and made one out of wood from a coconut. <laughs> <laughs> And we never got another one. So Max's wedding rings, still wouldn't ring. <laughs> it's
1: the same one. You never went for the metal one afterwards. And he has it. He has it, yes? Yeah, he doesn't wear it. He just right. doesn't like, yeah, wear jewelry. Yeah. But yeah, yeah he yeah, still yeah.
0: has it, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Isn't that something else? So not, you are a cool customer. Well, you know, are you
0: cool. Do you know what happens? Over the years in the classes, I've seen so many brides and the stress that literally for about a year before between mm. organising everything and as much as they're because the weddings over here are amazing, and they look beautiful. A lot of them, I, I saw the stress that they were going through. And I just, I don't like doing stress. Yeah. I just, I think there's enough stress in life having to bring more stress onto yes. yourself. So, yeah, I'm very laid back. And the main thing is my parents at home, they were okay with it. You yeah. know what I mean? They knew it. Mark's family didn't find out until after. Yeah, it was funny. He rang his mom, <laughs> lovely mom. And on the day his mom getting married today, she didn't believe him.
1: <laughs> she thought it was a I adopted Fantastic, yeah. but listen, there is a there's another aspect to this. You know, did he actually propose to you
0: on the plane? Yeah, you see, I, I was thinking because we weren't engaged, so we need we thirty thousand feet. Well, yeah, so we had to get engaged before. So, I in my head it was going to happen at the beach that night, like lovely walk in the beach and okay. everything. Like, nope, on the plane on the plane. What happened? What happened? You're on the plane. How did this happen? Well, I was trying to make the most of being first class. You know what I mean? So pyjamas, duvet, watching movies. (laughs) Give me all the goodies you can give me, you know? And the air hostess came over and says, your boyfriend wants you to join at the bar. It's a little bar at the front. Hmm. I was I don't drink. Hmm. So to me, alcohol means nothing. So no, I was having none of it. So she tried again and tried a third time. And not for one second did it cross my mind that he wanted to propose. Yeah. So eventually. She's the air hostess. Says, Look, she's not budging from from the sea. She's not getting up. <laughs> so he just grabbed the earphone. The air hostess suggested it, and in front of the whole place, yeah, he proposed. Yeah, the
1: very, whole yeah. flight <laughs> heard the proposal from Mark to you. Yeah. Oh my, he's a ro- it was funny. You he's a what? romantic man.
0: It's very funny. I think it's very funny.
1: Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> it's quite unique. I'd say there's very few people have had a proposal up there, 30,000 plus feet, in the air, and everyone on the plane knows. And it happens in a live situation. And did you get up then and go through? Obviously, a- <laughs> a- yeah. a- Up then and hightailed it up and
0: yeah, yeah, you said yeah. yes, yeah, of okay, course okay, yeah.
1: you <laughs> did. What a wonderful story that is. Wow. <laughs> and then when you land, you know, you said you'd run ahead and they say yeah. they can look after everything for you. Did it run like clockwork? Smooth. very layback.
0: Caribbean is very laid back. Yeah. Everything about it. There was no stress from anybody, like absolutely nobody. So, yeah, we just arrived. We had seven days there before the actual ceremony. We signed all the papers we had to sign, organised the flowers. They picked everything for me and then the hotel manager gave me away. <laughs> That's it. We had a little bonfire at the beach and our dinner there, the two of us, and it was deadly.
1: <laughs> this is just fantastic. And you didn't have all the arrangements to make all the financial headaches that go with it all the, the politics that go yeah. on with families and you're trying to marry two countries exactly. Spain and Ireland and together bear in
0: mind nobody in my family speaks English and nobody in my family speaks Spanish could you imagine could you imagine that I will have to be a translator for the day <laughs> <laughs> the stress of that alone have been <laughs> mental what know? a
1: wonderful but story say, it's not for
0: everybody like no, as I said like no, I have I loads have. of my customers at the moment have got married this year and the weddings are beautiful they're amazing and at the end of the day it's what makes it each one happy, you Mm. know, like some people want that big wedding. And I say, go for it. I just never wanted that. That was never one of my dreams. But it was perfect.
1: Like it It worked. It solved so many problems, you know what I mean? Potential problems that you didn't have or any worries or cares about that. Now, I have to ask you this. When you came back home and Marconi (laughs) told his (laughs) mammy on the day and you had let no uh, folks back in, in Barcelona as well. Did you have anything subsequently? Did you no. have never, never anything? Nothing. No, you know, no. the way some people do this yeah. and then have a party. Yeah, no,
0: Again, I will have to bring the family over. It just know so we never <laughs> talked about this. <laughs> we may have it, maybe you've had the line at some point. That can still happen. Never you know. see, so it took you 11 years, 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 years and <laughs> you know,
1: yeah, so many years. Don't write it off. There's no, still no. a possibility that this could happen. Yeah, no, no. but they, I'm sure they were thrilled for both. So you oh, they yeah. knew you were together forever yeah, anyway, like, mm-hmm. and then that this just was the glue that that. Made sure that you would yeah. never ever separate. Isn't that fantastic? It's 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 pretty unique. But as you said, there are many people who go mad on the and 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 pay for it for years to come. Mm-hmm. But look at if that's your. It, that's
0: the thing. Some people you. are happy with a cheap car some people want a very fancy car. Whatever yes. makes <laughs> someone happy, go for it, you know. Ultimately, <laughs> it has to make you happy. That makes me happy. I'm, not, I'm I don't like big fuss. I don't like things, things like that. So you know,
1: Did you have a wedding cake? Something I meant to mention.
0: Have, yeah, there was a cake actually. There was like they supplied cake, photographer, flowers, makeup, hair. They supplied the celebrant, they supplied everything and had amazing pictures Mm. with sunshine, which you can Mm. never guarantee in Ireland. For sure.
1: Look out today and you know, (laughs) anyone getting married today, we think of you, we certainly (laughs) do. But it it is something you did on the fly, but something simply amazing in terms of money and cost and that it, it was a, a, a cheap wedding. It didn't cost. It you was a obviously not, the
0: rings that were the rings. So the rings were like the average yes. price yeah, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the dress was three hundred euros on the sale rack. Uh, Mark just wore clothes from Max, linen pants and shorts from Max and Spencers. There was no shoes because it was in the sand, um, and then the, the ceremony itself was four hundred dollars uh, American dollars. Yeah. So, uh,
1: no shoes. Yeah.
0: I can't. No I can't shoes. walk on high heels. You don't know that. The last time I wore high heels, I broke my ankle. <laughs> I don't wear. I'm on Nikes all day. <laughs> I'm very bad on heels. <laughs> it didn't
1: matter with all the sand and the beaches you had yeah. out there there as well. Do you remember the ceremony itself? Do you yeah, remember? Yeah,
0: it was lovely. It was at sunset. Uh, it was beautiful. It was very short, and as I said, it was lovely. It mm. was so. There was no force. There was no tension. It yeah. was all laid back the whole day. The mm. whole day. Like that morning, I think at twelve o'clock, we were at the beach, sunbathing. And we started getting ready, I think, like, two hours before the ceremony. So it was very, very laid back, very laid back.
1: Are you still as laid back as a yeah. couple and a family? Because yeah. you have children now, yeah, of course, do, yes. Two boys, isn't it? Yeah, two boys, yeah. It, two you boys, yeah. yeah. Are, are you still like that yeah. in your life? Yeah. It's a great way to yeah. be. Mm-hmm. It really is. What about the dress? Do you have the dress? I this
0: is my house, yeah. I have the dress, yeah.
1: <laughs> isn't that just wonderful? <laughs> And, you know, when you reflect on, you know, all the years that have gone by, how you met him, the 11 years, this story and everything, it's been a a fabulous life. It's been a
0: journey. It's been a journey. I mean, you know, I woke up when I was 12. This is a mad story. And I told my mum, mum, when I'm 18, I'm going over to Ireland. My mum looked at me and she laughed and she opened an atlas because we had no internet back then and she said, where's Ireland? And I pointed at Iceland. So I didn't even know where Ireland was. (laughs) Yeah yeah I finished my living search in Spain and seven days later I was here so I don't know why I got it in my head that I was coming to Ireland and, and now you can't get rid of me <laughs> 25 years well, later You don't here. want
1: rid of you you're part and parcel of, of what we are now you, you teach yoga and hot, hot yoga yeah. in particular Juara Louise is a great aficionado of yours and yeah. um, could you incorporate yoga? I'm just thinking into a wedding at all. That <laughs> no. 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 No, I
2: can't see
0: that happening.
2: No,
1: no, 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 no. Probably <laughs> not, that's a Not a idea.
0: Side yoga.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is just simply magical. It really is. If you have anything to say, you know our number 086 658 by WhatsApp or text. Give us a shout. how how are you doing business-wise because the juices and thank you I I have it here a lovely Mm. bottle I've been gifted of your green glow juice this is going really well for you isn't it yeah
0: it is it's yeah been a challenge it's been a challenge Uh, being a raw juice manufacturer is a challenge Um, I find that the food Industry wants everything highly processed, long shelf dates. And I'm, I think that was my mission to come to here is trying to wake up people and make them realise that there is more to life than long shelf lives. And we are the sickest generation that's ever been, but the most undernourished. And the only thing that has really changed in the last 30, 40 years is the food supply. And unfortunately, I believe Governments and food um, industry have very little interest in people's health. That's just my my, my point of view. So, so yeah, so it's challenging because there's a lot of obstacles on the way. they want everything, as I said, mm. process, 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 and which this isn't. From the juice
1: works, the juice works is the business. There's nothing in this, and that restriction, I'm sure, as well with getting shelf space because people want this to last. That's and what last. we're knowing. And you won't do that. Exactly. You will not put exactly. in that stuff to do the that. The
0: ethos of the company is to remain raw and pure.
1: Isn't that shocking to say that we're more? We have more food than ever. And Mm -hmm. yet you're saying to me, the nutritional value of it is...
0: Yeah, like 90% of the stuff you find in a supermarket didn't exist 40 years ago. Mm. You know what I mean? Everything is about long shelf life, long shelf life. We want things to look pretty. I mean, I was told by a very, very powerful business, food business uh, mentor, that uh, what I was doing was business suicide. That's exactly his words. That it's all about making the packaging look expensive and healthy, but actually put the cheapest product inside it. And I was thinking, but what happens? So what happens when somebody is actually sick and is trying to use health? You know what I mean? To to help themselves along the, the journey, that doesn't come into it. It's about profit margins and it's about making things look very very healthy, mm-hmm. which is very sad. It saddens mm. me. You know, what I mean? it saddens mm. me. So it's a bit of a of a hard battle that I'm trying to fight here. But I am stubborn. You know what I mean? I'm, mm-hmm. I am stubborn and determined and passionate about what I do. I believe that. That doctors and, and, and nurses are amazing, but I do believe that the system, the HSC, like even the, the hospitals are overflowing. There's too much sickness, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. if we actually help ourselves a tiny bit, the natural day we would be able to take some of the load that the medical system has.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing this. I'm hearing what you're saying. And, and it is so true. We need to be well and not sick. I'm going to come back to this again. I want to leave them ponder the wedding story and how you got on. It's simply wonderful. Thank you for joining me today. You're very Thanks welcome. for the gift of the juice. I'll enjoy it for sure. Laura Mada, we won't leave it as long again. Thank you so much for joining me Thank in late you. lunch. <laughs>
0: it's
1: a pow. And China in your hand on your late lunch this Thursday afternoon. Did you see that, Louise? Three people are to be prosecuted in connection with the singing of a song which contained offensive lyrics about the murder of Michaela Macarivi. That news just breaking in the last half hour or so. Do you remember oh, that's that good. video? That, yeah. Oh, it's, it was Thickening. shocking. It really was horrendous, you know, and, 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 and that's from one side to the other. It happens the other way around as well, I have to say. You know, it can be, uh, I, I, you know, oh God, you just despair when you hear about it. Anyway, uh, three to be prosecuted. So it just shows you, uh, you know, being offensive. And posting it and thinking you're going to be uh, getting along scot free is no longer the case. You're going to be uh, brought to boot by the law, and that is good to see for sure. Isn't that lady some laid back woman? That Miss Laura, isn't Mata? she just? Yeah, you know yeah, that she's well. Great. She's fantastic woman. She really, mm. really is. What a story about my the daughter
0: wedding. still thinks even to this day. And we used to live near Laura. We used to be neighbours, and to this day. Um, my daughter still raves about her homemade ice cream she makes with dates. Really? And still, no ice cream is <laughs> is like hers.
1: Well, there you are. We've talked to her about five different topics now already. <laughs> it's the ice cream, ice cream next. Well. Anyway, after two on late lunch, we're going back to the subject of uh, restricted breeds of dogs. We mentioned the whole issue of restricted breeds of dogs on the show earlier in the week and in particular in the context of the news that the XL bully was banned in Britain and we were talking to vet Pete Wedderburn about it and we got uh, some interesting reaction from listeners including Noel, a local man who's involved with the breed well, Noel wants to join us today he just can't, unfortunately he's been called away at the last moment but Michael O'Connor, who's an owner and shows them and as a judge, uh, joins me on the line thanks uh, for stepping in, Michael no problem at all. How are you? I'm really good. Uh, thanks for being with us on the show today. Tell us about the dogs you uh, own and look after and love. What breeds have you?
3: So I, uh, my, my daughter is and myself, um, we are shown the last 12 years. Hmm. We, sh- we have uh, micro bullies, which is a member of the American bully family. Uh, We also are trainers and show XL bullies for other competitors in the show scene. So we have, we'd be well known and we also have a lot of knowledge and hands on with these breeds, especially the XL bullies. Even though we don't own an XL bully, we are training most of our dogs are XL bullies that we train.
1: Now when you mention that name people shudder and you can understand why with the press the breed has got and again yesterday a guy in Sunderland died uh, following an attack uh, by an XL bully. You know, they get bad press. Is it justified?
3: Okay, this is where it's a big mistake people are making. So I, I was speaking to your, your co-host or the lady that was getting me online. With Louise, you. yeah. A, a post went up on social media for the dog shelter in Ireland and it has on it a large selection of XL bullies looking for rehoming. Mm. Me as a show person that knows the breed inside out and multiple people within the breed scene and the bully scene, all looking at this post and not one of them dogs is an XL bully. Not one of them. And how you know they're not an XL bully is they do not have breed type. And this is where people, especially... Um, When an accident happens or the shelters take in a dog, they just see this big bully breed dog and automatically label it an XL bully. It's not an XL bully. It's a band dog. A band dog is a dog made up of different breeds where someone's crossbreeding. This is not the type of people like us that are a part of the shows and showgoers and have pedigree dogs that are generations and generations back of full pedigree dogs that are doing these attacks.
1: OK, so you're saying that what happens is it's a mixed breed. It's not a true line of an XL bully or a pit bull or the uh, micro bullies that you're talking about. There, It's an offshoot.
3: Exactly. So when, when, when the shelters take in a dog, like that shelter done and, pour, and put up a post about these dogs are looking for rehoming, they actually labelled it on it, XL bullies for rehoming. And multiple comments underneath are like, there's not one XL bully in this whole list and pictures of these dogs. And there wasn't. It's a, it's a mixed breed where someone is mixing up a load of different breeds, creating this big bull breed band dog, and then people automatically say it and go, oh, it's an XL bully. And like the American bully has a different load of different categories. So you have micro bully, you have classic, you have standard, and then you have the XL and you have pocket bully. So in, within the American bully, you have a load of different standards. Mm. The biggest one would be the XL Bully, which is in the papers and in the limelight at the minute. Even down to the attacks in in the UK. One of the videos going around of the dog that was supposedly an 11-year-old girl and chased a fella through a car park or a garage park. Uh, It turns out then, that and from the video, it actually wasn't an XL Bully. It was a Staffordshire Cross dog. Mm. But the label is given to these dogs. As soon as you hear an attack, Like, uh, it's labelled them as an exile bully And down to any breed. Any breed, no matter what breed, can be dangerous in the wrong hands.
1: Yeah, I want to come to that in a second. So you're saying that this, uh, you know, breeding and crossbreeding doesn't help with the temperament of the dog. But if we talk about the bullies themselves, and and let's address that as you were going to there. Any dog and, and, and a bully or the micros or whatever, if they're in the hands of the wrong person and not controlled... They're a danger, aren't they?
3: a oh, 100%. So this is a, another example I posted on my social media. I grew up hunting animals with my father. That was our thing. We grew up hunting. I, as from a young age, was trained with firearms, high-powered firearms. I never killed anybody. And that gun never killed anybody. It, 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 we shot targets or we, 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 we shot wildlife because that's what we were trained and we were doing. And grew, I grew up doing that. If I get in a, a car tomorrow and I drive it safely down the road, I'm not going to kill anybody in it. But if I, if I ram it up on the path, and like in the UK, where terrorist attacks go down uh, the bridge and knock down a lot of people, was it a car's fault? No, it was the idiot behind the wheel. So exactly same thing with a dog. Do I think that restriction should come in for all powerful dogs? A million percent. The government in, the or- in Ireland and the UK should be restricting laws that you must go through a training course. You must be licensed per dog. That that dog has gone through some uh, training with you as the owner. It's licensed to you. Then the microchip is licensed to you, to that license. If I end up selling that dog or passing that dog on to somebody, it's up to me, look, I'm selling a car. If I sell that dog, I have to make sure that paperwork is transferred into the new owner's name. Because if that dog gets out, and injures a child, a dog, another person, or anybody, or gets a smack of a car for that reason. Well, then, I'm still liable for that, so it's in my interest to have it out of my name and in the new owner's name. I- but the government's doing these banned breeds and banned lists and et cetera. It makes no sense, because a dog is not the problem. It's human error.
1: I I like what you're saying because Pete Wedderburn, the vet, well-known, you know him yourself, uh, was against the banning as well. He said it makes no sense and he went down the line, you went there, and he cited the example of Spain and Germany where that system you're talking about is in place and, in fact, he was saying that uh, certain breeds have to have insurance as well, which is another little add-on, but you would welcome that and you, you really believe the law needs to... To reflect what you just said there, here, and it's not at the moment. Is that what you're telling me?
3: Absolutely. I think. I think what's wrong is, though. Again, listen. Every every community and every sort, everything has good and bad in them. If you come, which the IFPCA came to a show in 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 Ireland there three weeks ago, he was there and welcomed, and there was no problems. The dogs. You have to remember when a dog is in a competition and it's a home that's being shown in. It's, it's in incredible condition. It's, it's, it's conditioned, food, it's walked, it's groomed. Then you have these type of dogs like we're talking about that idiot backyard breeders are breeding and creating these dogs that are not pedigree dogs and then are labelled as an XL bully and that has given us as a community a bad name. So if that license, if, it, if, it, if it's licensed and looked after correctly where people have to go through the right training. This will try and reduce these issues happening. Instead of just targeting them and banning them, in the UK mainly, like Ireland is not banning them. They're, and it, like, the American bully was always on the restricted list. It just wasn't named on it. Because the American bully is a breed that's around 15, 20 years that was crossbred and made up. And it specifically says in the restricted list that any dogs made up of the Pitbull, Terrier, etc. is also on the banned list. So we all know that and that's not the problem. The problem is that it's us people that have these good dogs are being labelled that these attacks are from airbreed when it's not from airbreed.
1: Let me just read some comment that's coming to me at the moment, uh, Michael. 086-1800-658. Do you have anything to say about what we're talking about today or if you've ever been uh, in an incident with a dog, any type of dog at all? We'd love to hear from you. 086-1800-658. A listener there sends us in a picture of uh, their finger. I was screwing my finger off a after a Pitbull attacked my dog and bit my finger when I tried to intervene. I'm lucky to still have the finger. Two young people were taking the dog for a walk, not paying any attention to the dog and it wasn't restrained. They're the people you're talking about, aren't you? That shouldn't have that dog.
3: 100%. So I personally think nobody under the age of 16 or so should be allowed out or own these dogs alone. Because at the end of the day, they haven't gone through training but if they've like for example if i'm walking down the road tomorrow and i see two dogs attacking each other or i see a dog attacking a human yeah i'm i know from knowledge and training that how i can get that dog off the dog or off a person so if a person is owning a dog they should go through training knowing what to do with the breed that is from any dog. I'm not saying about American bullies. I'm talking about any dog over a certain weight. Mm. It should be a, a, a legislation where you have to go through training. Me included. If, if the government made out a law tomorrow and said, well, uh, Michael O'Connor, I'm, I have no certification for training, but I'm knowledgeable trained, and my knowledge of around these breeds of 12 and 14 years is knowledgeable, more so. But if they come out and said, well, you need to go through this training, Michael, and be licensed, the first thing I'm going to do is put me and my daughter through it so that we can also pass on knowledge to newbies coming into the scene that like, this is what you need to
1: do. Mm. Um, I, I, it, it's flying into me here from people I'll just get to a couple more of them you're missing the point no we're not missing the point I have to say this, and, and thanks for getting in touch with us this listener says it's not the good dog owners are the problem it's down to people walking around towns with no muzzle no high strength leads what law has ever worked in Ireland or been enforced drinking, uh, drink driving, dog licence dog fouling, car insurance nothing is enforced says a listener and that's a good point as well Michael
3: yes yeah. But let's spin this around here. So I'm a good owner of of an American bully and I'm walking. This has happened and there's there's video proof of this on social media. You're walking down a park or you're walking down the road. Nine times out of ten, it's a Bichon, it's a Pomeranian, it's a Yorkshire Terrier, it's a Jack Russell that comes out without a lid because the owners think they're great little dogs and they cause more attacks than any other breed. All these dogs that people are walking around the park with them, Really, nobody should be allowed to walk a dog off a lead in a park mm. because anybody could be walking a dog and get attacked by the dog attacking another dog. And then the first thing the owner does, two Bijons could be fighting. The first thing the owners are going to do is put their hands in to try and get them off, and one of them gets bitten. Yeah. This is the thing where nobody should be allowed to dog off a lead in a park unless it's in an area specifically for dogs off lead. Mm. But even in that, there still could be an in incident happen where two, a dog will attack another dog. They're dogs. This, these are animals. And humans need to realize this also. Stop humanizing dogs. A dog is an animal. You need to be the, the, the higher chair in the family and you need to dictate and make sure that that dog knows you're in control at all times. And that goes from American bullies down to a Bijan phrase.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I was reared with dogs. My father was a great canine man, different breeds like yourself. We hunted on that as well and I understand what you're saying. If he were alive today, Lord of he'd be horrified by the way uh, people treat dogs. They are different. They are a different (laughs) creature altogether. That's a point so well made. And I understand people love dogs as well and they want them close to them and that. I'm not saying that, but you make a very, very good point there. Listen, Michael, I have to leave it there for today. I'm getting plenty more comment. I'm sure I'll be back to you down the road. It's been great chatting to you today. Thanks so much Anytime. for standing Thank in. Thank you very much. Take care of yourself, Thank Michael. You. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Michael O'Connor there, who owns, shows, and judges uh, the uh, pit bulls. Alice was on to say, Jerry, I'm enjoying the show. I just want to make a comment on what you're talking about. I think humans are the problem. Human error. Owners are not taking responsibility for their pets. I see an owner of a Rottweiler. I know this, Jerry, in a six by four cage. Why wouldn't that dog be aggressive? Also, small. All gardens having huge dogs restricted is not on. It shouldn't be allowed, says Alice. Thank you indeed for your comments to the show today. Keep them coming. 86 by WhatsApp or text. After the break, Drogheda United fans are banned. The Independent Disciplinary Committee of the FAI has banned all Drogheda United spectators from attending the club's next away game against Shamrock Rovers in Tallis Stadium on the 20th of October. It's because of an incident at the match, the loud derby between Dundalk and Drogheda last Friday evening. The chairperson of Drogheda United joins me, Joanna Byrne. Afternoon, Joanna.
4: Afternoon, Jerry. Good afternoon to all your listeners.
1: Thank you for taking our call today. Um, Did this come as a bolt from the blue for you?
4: Um, Yes, in short it did. Um, The severity of the sanction was a bit of a shock to us now. being honest, we were expecting some sort of repercussions. We were aware that there was some incident at the match last Friday night which we actually intervened ourselves in um, throughout the match to try and curtail some of the behaviour from... People in the section where the United supporters were. Um, so we were expecting some sort of a sanction, but the severity of this was a little bit of a shock to us.
1: So what happened was a match official was uh, struck by a pyrotechnic, which is absolutely unacceptable. And look, at I go to the home games and I see them. They light the flares or the pirate technics go off with the home fans when it's in Drogheda and the away supporters as well. And I know you've tried to curtail it as a club by appealing to them and away clubs and other clubs have as well. It doesn't seem to work. It falls on deaf ears. But that is a serious incident. you accept that?
4: Yeah, a hundred percent accepted. And we, as a club, myself as chair and and the board, we don't condone any of this antics in any way, shape or form. For any official, line and referee, player, for anybody on on that pitch with their back to a crowd and and to be in fear of something coming and hitting hitting them from behind, it's it's no place for anybody to be and and feeling that fear. So we a hundred percent accept. Um, that, that it's bang out of order and I have made an appeal to the SAI for the ban and I haven't made the appeal um, on the basis of we're not accepting what happened I've made the appeal on the basis of not everybody should be um, sanctioned for the actions of a small minority of people
1: I think that's a fair point you know like there are the vast majority of people go along uh, to support mm. their team and do it from a, a goodness point of view and from yeah. their hearts and a, a small minority on uh, they have, they're have they there in all clubs uh, cause incidents and are responsible for incidents like this um, it, it, it'll be it'll be shocking if, if no one can go you know you've, you've made yeah, the well, you it, know
4: it'll be very disappointing Jerry. and uh, this season in particular we are seeing unprecedented amounts of demand for tickets for the match. There's been several matches this season we've had to turn people away from United Park due to it being sold out and at full capacity and nobody wants to hamper um, that level of support in any way, shape or form. I don't want to see that done to our fans. Um, but this is an increasing problem around the league. It's not just unique to the United, it's it's every club that's suffering with this. And it is perhaps an air of caution or a warning to those who are partaking in this unsavoury behaviour that it is going to affect everybody, and themselves included. They won't be allowed into the match, but there's people who are going to match it with their children, with, with their family, and with their parents, you know, bringing their elderly parents, something they've done all their life, and all of these people are going to suffer as a result of this if this man is health.
1: Um, the, the culprits, drawers, ultras are fantastic, and I know there was a time yeah, they weren't yeah. allowed into United Park, yeah. and and it was shocking because the place was just dead. And it's <laughs> wonderful; they create a great atmosphere, they encourage the team, and and they're to be welcomed. But there's a, a, a number in it. There's a number in it that probably need to be wed out. Can you do that? Can you identify these people? Will they be yeah. ba- Will they be banned from matches?
0: Planning for your next trip.
4: Um, we've actually banned three supporters um, on short-term bonds since the start of the season. What I, what I want to be very clear on is I, I'm very fond of our ultras and the majority of our ultras will work with the club and, and have regular meetings with the club and they are completely clear in the fact that nothing is to go on the pitch and nobody is to go on the pitch and that's what this sanction is for is for a mid to on to the pitch and, and happen to hit, hit a linesman. There is an element of, I wouldn't even call them supporters, Jerry. there's an element of people who come out for the big matches, for the contentious matches, the, the derby matches with Undock is the main one, but there's other ones like Rovers and bold. And they're feeding into this, I, uh, I don't want to call it hooliganism, but this, this mantra that's developing in, in, in regards to, you know, displays at footballs, um, you know, the bravado that comes with it, all this kind of stuff. There's an element of people who are coming out just for them, big matches. And what they're doing is they're actually tarnishing the name of some of our Ultras. And um, You know, they're bringing down that rapport that the Ultras are trying to build with the fans. They're ruining that trust that there is between regular supporters and the Ultras. And I don't want that to happen. I don't want our fans to be divided we're at a very exciting time in Jordan United. There's a lot of great things going on. The team is performing very well. And I, I, I want our fans to remain united. So what we need to do as a club is we need to wiggle out these um, people who aren't supporters of the club, who don't care about the consequences that the club receives or that the fans get sanctioned with. And we need to try and work hard to wiggle them out. We've done a bit of work about it. We've made plenty of progress this season, but there's obviously still some more to do.
1: So there is another element you say infiltrating that you want to yes. uh, get to uh, and sort out Are you hopeful? What, what What's your feeling? You, you've you lodged the appeal Will there be uh, claret and blue colours in, in Tallis Stadium um, on the 20th?
4: It's hard to know because from speaking to the FBI last night there's serious concern growing amongst the referees um, and the referees are obviously concerned with incidents like this escalating So I think that's where the severity of the ban emanated from in its origin, and I understand that and I respect that. But I have made an appeal on behalf of the club and I've asked the disciplinary committee to review this and to suspend the ban. I'm not asking them to overturn it. I'm accepting that we accept the punishment, but I've asked them to suspend the ban to give us an opportunity to work with our fans to ensure that an incident like this doesn't happen again. And if it does, that the ban will automatically qualify for the next away match. And I think that's fair. That's us holding our hands up to the FBI and saying, we realise this was an issue. We realise there's a safety concern here. We realise this can get out of hand if we don't get it under control. But we don't want to see our fans sanctioned and we don't want to see them not afforded with the opportunity to rectify this. So I, I'm hoping that there's a bit of fair justice given and some consideration given to that. But I don't know. It'll be next week when the disciplinary committee meet again and it, it, it's in their hands. I've made the case. I've sent in um, a video. There's actually a video of one of our ultras taken to the wall after we intervened with them at half time and he went over the megaphone and told the, the supporters in that section, if this doesn't stop, the game's going to be abandoned and we have a video of that. You can hear it loud and clear. I've sent that into the FBI with a repeal and to me that shows that there is a bit of a rapport between our genuine fans, our genuine ultras, mm. and the club itself and I'm, I'm hoping that that will be taken into consideration.
1: OK, Joanna, let's leave it there for today and see what happens. Hopefully there will be fans at the game but a serious issue it is exactly. and the club yeah. taking it very seriously as well. Good luck with all that's going on besides. Thanks for joining me.
4: Thanks, Jerry. Take care, you said
1: bye That's Joanna Byrne there Chairperson of Drogheda United Football Club After the break Were you thinking about The solar panels Or perhaps a heat pump Or looking at your home From an insulating Point of view We're talking about it Next on Late Lunch Electricity, gas, oil I don't have to remind you When the bills arrive. They've just gone through The roof haven't they Since, especially since The war in Ukraine And everybody's thinking About their homes And what can we do Can we save money What should we do Well we're going to talk About it for the next while with a man who knows his business is called Eco Energy Improvements. And I'm delighted to say hello to Dermot McElroy. Thank you for joining me, Dermot. Thanks today. for having me, Jerry. Thank you. This is the uh, only show in town at the moment when it comes to homes and households. People are thinking about this all the time. So sure. let's just focus on the house for a minute and take my own house, for example. Yeah. Right. I have a detached house built about 25 to 27 years ago, brick, cavity, block, haven't done an awful lot with it since, to be honest with you, yeah. in terms of energy. I heat the house with oil. I have electricity as well. Yeah, I'm a sort of a candidate for this, yeah, am I?
5: Yeah, you're a very typical candidate, Jerry. I mm. have to say. And the first thing I would say to anybody to do is you actually look at the bills that you have for the house. Look at your electricity bills. Look at your oil bills. Tot them up and see what you're spending on an annual basis because you can only save on what you're spending. Some people will spend a huge amount on electricity. Some people spend less. Depends on the occupancy level in the house, how much you're at home during the day, if you're away a lot. Same with your heating. If you're home a lot, your heating bill will be high. If you walk away, your heating bill will be less. So typically you'll start to focus on your saving potential when you look at what you're spending in the first place so people come to us with extremely large electricity bills extremely large oil bills particularly in an era where people are working from home retiring early more people spending more time in the house so they see their oil or gas or electricity bills going up an awful lot from what they were and then they go well electricity has doubled since last year oil is up 50 or 60% what can I do about that and that's what we're here to address to see if we can retrofit something to the house to reduce electricity, reduce oil so that their investment is paid off over a, a certain period of time. So my house, for example, I hear this thing about wrapping the
1: house sure. or sealing the <coughs> house. Sure. First. Is that the first thing to look at?
5: Yeah, well, uh, wrapping typically uh, relates to external insulation, yes. and, uh, uh, which is quite expensive to do. It's a worthwhile exercise, but it would be a lot more expensive typically than pumping your cavity, okay. which is maybe... A fraction of the cost. It mightn't just yield the best savings, but pound for pound, it's the first thing I'd look at, actually. So pump you're, you're really looking at the shell of the house. What can I do to reduce the heat loss of the house yes. per se? Pumping your cavity is probably the best bang for buck you'll get in any house before you look at panels or heat pumps or any of the other items. And the attic needs Insulating Same too. I'd, Same I'd, thing. I'd take me my joist and my attic, mm-hmm. I'd lay out more rock wall or fiberglass, or better again, I'd have the rafters, that's the timbers that go up sprayed with insulation. That's a really, really, really good thing to do. And that stops the heat leaving in the first place. So the more you reduce the heat loss, the more you're reducing your bills anyway. And then when you've done that then you look at step two and three. What about windows? Because that's a big thing. You know, I've double glazing. You need to look at windows in the context of this as well. I, I, I certainly, windows that are typically 10 years old or more would have an awful lot more heat loss than windows that they fit today. Most windows today are triple glazed rather than double glazed. And certainly if you have a house with a lot of glass and most new houses have huge sliding doors at the back, large windows for natural light, the sort of Dermot Bannon type of houses where natural light is everything. And, uh, you know, if if you have large windows that are quite old, even though they're expensive to replace. I'd also look at that as a as a okay. next step. Now,
1: come back to the house. We've sealed the house in whatever way we can, the mm-hmm. attic, the rafters and everything. We've done that. So let's look at the oil first. I have okay. a, a Grant Oil mm-hmm. burner at the minute. I only replaced it a few years ago. Sure.
5: tipping along, get me a few fills a year. To go to heat pump. Okay, so first thing we say is how much you're spending on oil, Jerry. Are you? Will one, one fill of oil do you in a year? No. Or is the oil man calling three or four times a well, year? Well, he called two, maybe three. You know, three. Okay, so if he's three times calling and you're spending maybe. Two, two and a half, three grand in oil a year, I would certainly look at a heat pump as an option. Okay, so what a heat pump, a heat pump is a system that runs on electricity. So you get rid of your fossil fuel for a start. And typically in a house that has radiators, it runs a a lower level heat through your radiators quite constantly during the heating season. So your radiators, if you fit a heat pump, will run a sort of 30 or 40 degrees constantly throughout the day so there's a nice steady background heat there all the time and that sort of uh, heat provision suits somebody who's working from home or Mm -hmm. has a new baby or just retired or for whatever reason is in the house quite a lot. So I would say to anybody, if you like the idea of a warm a house that's kept warm or a constant background heat in your house all the time, a heat pump is a great idea. They are relatively expensive to fit. A typical retrofit of a heat pump is anywhere from ten to fifteen thousand euros. Yeah. So they're expensive to fit as opposed to just replacing a boiler. But You have a grant of six and a half thousand euros from SEAI towards that. And now you've got a house that's gone away from a fossil fuel, which for a lot of people is taking a green agenda and a save the planet box rather than just Uh, getting rid of your oil boiler. Mm. And to make up the
1: difference, uh, the financial institutions across the board, your credit union, your banks and that, are into these green loans. For
5: sure. Every single credit union. The credit unions are nearly leading this agenda at the minute, but every major bank and every credit union is offering fantastically low-rated green loans, payable over three, five or seven years to cover the, 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 the cost of that outlay. So typically for most people, what they'll save on uh, their oil will virtually pay for the repayment of the loan. It's it's that straightforward.
1: Mm, that's really interesting to hear. Now, solar panels, electricity, generating your yeah, own. So that's the sure. next that's step. That's the now.
5: next step. So in a, a, the dream scenario... Yes, as, this as, is what as, we're as, talking about. At, the dream. The, the dream scenario, as we mentioned earlier, is that you take out your boiler, you fit a heat pump, which now runs on electricity and increases your electricity bill. Whereas solar panels generate electricity, so you're now effectively generating power to run your heating and hot water system and contribute towards your light and your TV and your telly and your toaster and all that sort of stuff. So... Solar panel technology has evolved and improved that much over the last three, four five years that for most people, it's nearly a no brainer if they have enough roof space to fit. It really is. You get a, a grant of €2,400 Euros from SEI towards a, a, a PV installation if you fit more than four kilowatts, which is uh, ten 400 watt panels on your roof, which is normally what most people would do or maybe a little bit more even. And again, what you uh, generate on electricity, and you can also get sell electricity back to the grid as well as running your heat pumps and your other appliances. So, typically, the payback for most PV or photovoltaic installations is maybe four, five, six years now. It's a very short payback on a product that has a 25 year lifespan.
1: My house faces east to the front, yeah. west to the back. If you were with the panels on mine, would you split them you on the roof? You would split
5: them, Jerry. You do what's called an east-west array. So you have maybe five or six or seven east, five or six or seven west. A lot of houses will have dormers or roof lights, so we have to work around those. Uh, if so, if you're not south-facing, you just go east-west. It's that simple. The Irish climate, look at you, come in today there and it would just wreck your head. <laughs> yeah, it it, it it would. It would indeed. We, You know, although we actually have a brighter climate than we think we have. And the good thing about modern technology PV panels is that they also generate in daylight. Their output isn't as good as in sunlight, but typically a panel will still generate maybe 25 to 30 percent of its expected output when it's bright as opposed to... Uh, when full sunlight hits it, then it's at full tilt.
1: That's the dream yeah. for everybody. And I suppose people listening to us today say, well, maybe I can't do the whole lot. I can yeah. do, we have mentioned three, you know, sealing the house, uh, replacing the oil and uh, the solar panels. Sure. If you had the yeah. choice, what would you do immediately? If you
5: could say, I want to do this in yeah. stages. I, 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 the first stage and the cheapest thing to do is pump cavities, insulate your cavities and get into your attic. Most people think they have a well insulated attic when they don't. The standard building regulations now call for 300 mil of fiberglass or rock wool between your ceiling joist. You could do that yourself. You could go down to a DIY shop and do it. And that's actually the cheapest way to do it. And it's not necessarily a, a difficult thing to do. Getting a professional in to spray your roof is more expensive, but it is if you're gonna be in the house a long period of time, yeah. it's a really, really worthwhile thing to do, mm-hmm. I have to say. So that's your that's your low hanging fruit. The windows typically are a big outlay, but for people maybe reforming the house or maybe they've retired, they've got a lump and they've money to put towards it. They may look at spending more money. And I definitely also probably do windows before I look at anything else. You know, that wrap the shell properly and then look at your Heat pumps on your. You listen, in what's to no, know
1: it's not your area. Are there any grants for replacing windows? Yeah,
5: you, you get a grant for replacing windows if you go to what's called the one-stop shop, and we work with a lot of one-stop shops as well as as doing our own panels and, and heat pump systems. So when you go to a one-stop shop, that's another SEAI funded organisation that will help you with your paperwork, for which is you know can be quite cumbersome yes. for a lot of people, and. You have to do all five measures when you go to a one-stop shop. You have to pump your cavities and or wrap that external insulation wrap and do your windows and do your heat pump and do your PV panels and probably a car charger to boot while <laughs> you're at it.
1: That's something we didn't mention because that's something that <clears> for <throat> the future as well is future-proofing you sure. with what's coming down the line yeah. in motoring. Yeah. What do
5: you mean by a one-stop
1: shop? Just explain one, that for a little
5: bit. A one-stop shop is an organisation that uh, you go to if you're going the whole hog on your house. You're not just doing an individual measure. You're not just putting up solar panels or putting in a heat pump. You're probably going to have maybe anywhere from a 67 to 100k outlay uh, on your house. So Let's say you've just bought a 80s bungalow and you're going to do quite a large job on it in mm. terms of uh, energy improvements. And you tell them what you're doing. They will carry out the work uh They will do all the s e i paperwork they 'll sort the grants out for you. They will arrange for the tradesmen to do the job they 'll certify everything and you actually when you go to a one stop shop, your grants are topped up even further so if you get six and a half thousand for a heat pump individually if you go to a one stop shop, you get eight and a half thousand for argument's sake so typically, if you were going to spend sixty seventy eighty k you 'll get twenty five grand in grants through a one stop shop to uh, contribute to the uh, refurbishment of the house.
1: Excellent information. Will uh, you go out and assess a house? Yeah, you know beforehand. Somebody course. wants to. Know that. And is there a charge <coughs> for the
5: assessment? Uh, our assessments are free of charge. Okay. We call to houses and businesses every day. Yep. We have our own engineers who go and assess and look at buildings. You have to do that first because every house is different. Yep. So you have to look at what you would do. You know, some places we'd say you definitely need a heat pump, but I forget about panels or vice versa. Or we'd go in and tell them to do a bit of insulation in the house and then come back and talk to us. So we would tailor our advice and any quotations we do specifically to the client and to the house. And all those assessments are free of charge. It's the way it's going. Like, in the future, this is the way it's going to be. What about,
1: you know, does this apply? I mentioned I'm a a, a detached house. What about semi-detached terrace? Yes, all we've been talking about
5: applies. I I, I would say 30 to 40% of the work we are doing is on semi D's And even terrace houses midtown, you know, you can easily put a certain amount of panels on your roof. It's actually easier to insulate a smaller house. A, a terrace house, when you think of it, only has a front and a back wall. So you have only two walls rather than four to insulate. Typically, the roof space is smaller. So it's not actually that difficult to get a really good energy rating on uh, a terrace house or a semi-D. So your costs are obviously the costs are, are lower the smaller the house is. But uh, a lot of people and or people would maybe talk to their neighbours and have a couple of houses done at the same time. That's also quite common. Yeah.
1: Listen, loads there. We'll come back to this, I promise you. If they want to get in touch with you and your people at Eco Energy Improvements. We're, have-
5: we're on the Coase Road in Dundalk. We have a great team there to welcome anybody who comes in. We have a showroom that's just opened. Uh, Three Coes Road Dundalk is our address. We will be exhibiting at the Ideal Homes in a couple of weeks. You can come and talk to us then. And I promise you, we'll give you very good advice on anything you'd like to do. Dermot McElroy for today from Eco Energy Improvements you've been a mine of
1: information Thanks, thank you Jerry. so much pleasure to be here thank you Jerry. What an interesting conversation I had earlier on on the show with Michael O'Connor about the pit bulls and he is a man who owns them, shows them and judges them We've had plenty of reaction, thank you indeed to everybody who got in touch A listener from RD was on to say They have a mixed American bulldog and the dog adores his granddaughter and does as she says He obeys her commands, even knows when she's not well It is the way the dogs are reared and cared for, Jerry says that listener there. There's another Another one from Matty. Matty says my daughter had an American Pit Bull. It was massive. At the time, she had two toddlers. It was the gentlest animal I've ever seen, Jerry. My children were brought up with large breeds like Rottweiler. Never had a problem with them as they were treated properly, and we learned to respect them, and they learned to respect us and be kind. Says Matty. And another one there saying is again, Jerry. I have to come back to the point that it's about the owners, the training of the owners, the capability of the owners with these dogs. There has to be a licensing system in place. There has to be training for these people who decide to take on these dogs. There are too many people, Jerry, who have them and haven't a clue how to look after them or manage them. That's the real problem. Thank you for reading my comment. I'm really enjoying your show. Thanks indeed for that lovely message to Late Lunch this afternoon. 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text if you want to get in touch with us at any stage. And I will remind you again, out of hours, if you have a guest, a story or anything to talk to us about, you can email us, lunch at... LMFM.ie Gets myself or Louise directly Coming up after 3 on the show We're featuring mental health each Tuesday At this time on the show Rhoda Smith is joining me to talk about depression I have my top 5 countdown But taking us up to 3 on your late lunch This Thursday afternoon It's Mr Lewis Capaldi Days ache, nights long Two years and still you're not gone Guess I'm still holding on. Drag money
0: through the dirt Somehow it doesn't hurt though
1: National Hunt Racing returns to Ferry House this weekend On Saturday with seven exciting National Hunt races Featuring Ireland's leading trainers and jockeys I have a pair of tickets Which include admission, race card, Tote voucher uh, for a bet, drink voucher, food voucher to give away today on the show. The question was, who trained the successive uh, Irish national winners, Freewheeling, Dylan and Lord Larry? It was, of course, Dermot McLaughlin. Thanks to everybody who got in touch with us. Uh, those pair of tickets for the racing going today to Paula Emmett. Well done to you, Paula. Enjoy the racing. Now, let's do the countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. One. counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear and today it's the number two from this week in 1986 a big hit single for british pop group five star peaking at number two in the charts which is where it is today and uh, that's no higher it went than number two in the charts it was on top spot Uh, it, It was held off top spot, should I say, for two successive weeks in the UK, but still a massive hit it was for them. Yes, 13 weeks inside the UK top 75 before it made it into the top 10 and ultimately number two. Yes, it's five star and rain or shine. Certainly rain all the way today. I don't know why they're singing about shine. But God almighty, it depress you. Anyway, uh, we hope, we hope, we know it's going to get better. It is, folks, the weekend. The weather's to be lovely into the weekend and into next week with temperatures going up. It's all over the place at the moment. Anyway, that's the number two from this week in our top five countdown from 1986. Bringing the number one tomorrow on the show. Final break of the day and with the knowledge that October there's a huge focus on mental health here in Ireland each uh, Thursday at this time we will be uh, we've organised a feature on mental health and it's with the wonderful Rhoda Smith who's a counsellor at uh, Slane Counselling Centre and she's with me uh, after the break and we begin the series today and we're talking about depression There's a particular focus on mental health here in Ireland during the month of October each year. And with this in mind, we begin a four-part series on Late Lunch today. And we're delighted that Rhoda Smith, counsellor, who's the principal at Slane Counselling Centre, joins me on the show. Afternoon, Rhoda.
2: How are you, Jerry? How are you doing?
1: I'm really good. Thanks for joining us uh, on this series. We really appreciate you taking part with us. And today, uh, I mentioned a few moments ago, we begin with the topic of depression. Let me ask you this. Is it possible to sail through life without experiencing depression in one form or another?
2: Um, no, basically, it's not, unfortunately. Um It's impossible to kind of not be affected mentally by situations and circumstances, just like we are physically by situations and circumstances. So everybody will experience depression in their lives at some stage.
1: And some cope. Is that that a fact that some people are able to, others struggle and others really struggle? Would that sum it up?
2: Absolutely. There's many factors that will sort of affect how we cope. Our own resilience, the support systems that we might or might not have around us, people that are support, who spend a lot of their time alone versus people that are around other people. So some people will have better resources and lifestyle and well-being and these are the people that will do better. But even the people that have all the ingredients well, can still be sort of, the rug can come from underneath their feet and that's the illness of depression that can hit people out of nowhere and it can be really confusing where this came from but like any illness, be it physical or mental, we're all um, able to get them.
1: Now, no one immune and that's good to hear and you never know when it comes your way. In what manner or what underpins this? You know what I'm saying? Where can depression come from? What leads to it?
2: So I, really, there's, there's two main ways. So one is life and the things that life throws at you. So we could have many, many stresses going on. We could have difficulty in relationships. We could have difficulty with jobs and um, bereavement when we have a number of these things hit us at the one time. And we've all experienced aspects of that that it can be hard to stay mentally well when we're having so many challenges. So one way that people can experience depression really is about when there's accumulation of life's challenges that really pull us down. The other way is that illness of depression and I've often in practice had someone come in very confused and upset and and stressed and worried about where this came from. The family is good, the job is good, all the ingredients for a happy life is there but they really don't feel it and that's when it's the illness of depression that can just come and grab us.
1: What are the symptoms? How do we recognise this if, if we're not fully aware or not sure ourselves?
2: Yeah, and and knowing the symptoms is is so important because we can intervene and we can assist in our well-being to feel better. So generally the symptoms a person would present with very low mood. So like really, really feeling down and low. Um, And in therapy, what we would sometimes use is sort of gauging out of 10 where someone's mood is to really keep our eye on how they're doing. And any of us can do that. If we gauge out of 10, 10 being happy as Larry and one being mood on the floor, we can all gauge that and keep our eye on mood levels. When mood drops, also it pulls down our energy, can make us really, really physically tired and this can affect our sleep. And then our motivation to do things kind of goes. Um, This uh, then can lead into isolation. We end up kind of withdrawing from people, staying home a lot, staying in our rooms a lot. um, And a sense of hopelessness really arrives. Um, Also, rumination rumination is one of the big things in depression that a lot of people don't even know what it is or or that it is part of it. So Rumination is a constant negative thinking. It's like the chew and the cud, round and round of negative thought patterns. And they're, they're attacking ourselves, telling us that everything is bad, hopeless. We are worthless. We can't do anything. Why can't we get it together? So it's really, really hurtful and damaging. Um, and then th- with all of this going on, our access to feeling happiness and joy goes. So even if we're around people that we know and we like and could be doing things that we normally we would really enjoy, we feel that we just don't enjoy them anymore the access to joy um, it really reduces or goes
1: So ruminating a big big part of this. So what helps? What can, what can we do? We find ourselves in this situation what can we do? How do we you know try to extricate ourselves and get back on the an even keel?
2: Yeah, so like when we're feeling low and and rumination is at us, there are certain behaviours that we end up engaging in, not intentionally, but it's part of what happens with it. But by changing some of these behaviours, we can actually change how we feel. So one of the first things I would always check with people in sessions would be structure in their day. And keeping an eye on what the structure is. So if someone goes to work and then spends all evening in their room... That there's the isolation. So maintaining a structure in their day and their weeks can make it less likely for someone to engage in unhelpful behaviours. Um, exercise. Exercise is an enormous feature because mental and physical health are aligned. So if we simply invest in physical health, it has a positive effect on our mental health. So if we, if we do some exercise. Now, it'll be the last thing a person will want to do when they feel depressed and Mm. it can be very hard to kind of push through that. But once the exercise is done, at the end, there's usually a sense of satisfaction that that they've done it, achievement that we've got out. And it also can release endorphins. So these are happy chemicals in our brains that we get when we do exercise. Also, Exercise regulates our sleep, regulates our hunger, and it lifts our mood. And for some people, this lift of mood can be very short-term. It can dip very quickly again. But for others, it can really, really stay. And what I would always recommend with people that are finding it very hard to get out and exercise is I would say, gauge your mood out of 10 before you do the exercise. Curse me when you're walking in to do it if you have to.
0: Um,
2: (laughs) But afterwards gauge your mood out of 10. And you can be almost guaranteed that that has gone up a couple of notches. The mood has lifted a little bit. And this is where we have our motivation now to do that again. So when someone's mood is really on the floor and they know, well, when I went for a big, long walk, my mood did lift. So there we go. We know that works. Um, Connection. So reaching out and keeping contact with trusted friends and family and it's not necessary to tell them everything to tell them what's going on but if possible to even nod to it's been a bit difficult week what happens then is we're not on our own in this and depression really isolates us a lot so if we are simply around people or allow them to, to, to allow ourselves to share what we're feeling, we're now not alone anymore. And when we get that sort of sense of connection to others, another happy chemical, oxytocin, arrives too. So these are really good tools to, to help feel better. And when it comes to that that rumination, that awful thing, I think even knowing that there is such a thing as rumination, yeah. that it is a symptom. This is not me. I am not um, what all these thoughts, and I, this feeling is not who I am. So when we can name that there is rumination, and when someone is stuck in their room and they're feeling bad and they're stuck in that rumination, when we clock, okay, that's it, I'm in it now, that's rumination, and we name To ourselves that it's rumination, we immediately step out. So the power of it changes and we end up taking a little bit of power back and it just gives us a little bit of moment. So all of these behaviours that we can change can affect a positive change and give us some hope, which someone, when they're depressed and down, really, really needs.
1: Fantastic, wonderful advice there. And then I take it just to finish today. If all of that is not helping you, you need to talk to the likes of yourself, uh, Rhoda. We we need you need professional help.
2: Absolutely. for the first protocol will be the GP. The mm. GP will generally recommend therapy, counselling, um, and often CBT is a cognitive behavioural therapy is really really helpful, um, and usually with the GP and some counselling and support that can be often enough. If someone is really struggling, even with that. As therapists, we meet the challenge. If doing those t- stuff yourself doesn't, doesn't do the trick, then we raise how we respond to it. And then if te- counseling doesn't do the trick, we raise to that again. And that's where medication can be very, very helpful. But all the other stuff are all places to go first.
1: Fantastic. Uh, We've been talking about depression today with Rhoda Smith, a counsellor from Slane Counselling Centre. Next week we move along and it is linked to depression as well. We'll be covering off anxiety at this time on the show. Wonderful, Rhoda. Really great nice to, to talk familiar, to you. Jerry. Thank you so you much. Too. Talk to you next week. Take care. Take care. Bye. That's Rhoda Smith there from Slane Counselling Centre. A wonderful, wonderful lady. I hope it helps you if you find yourself a little bit down at this time. Late launch LMFM radio. That's it for today. Paul McKenna's on his way with the drive here on LMFM. Do stay with us, and we're back for the uh, final show of the week from 1 on Friday. Have a nice evening. We'll see you then.